0: Chapter Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians <coughs> chapter 2, we've been uh, kind of so herky-jerky over the last uh, couple of weeks and I apologize for that, uh, so we've, we've been in a study here in 2nd Thessalonians uh, and kind of taken a, a forced break in some ways uh, and it's thrown us all off schedule, uh, we were supposed to be finished with 2nd Thessalonians by the end of September, Uh, and we didn't make it, uh, and uh, supposed to be moving into our next book in October. Uh, Our next book will be the book of James, the book of James. So we'll be in 2 Thessalonians uh, this morning, uh, concluding 2 Thessalonians next week and then moving into the book of James after that. That's going to take us through October uh, into November, right up to Thanksgiving. Uh, So be doing your personal reading. Some of you are looking at me going, why is he giving us a layout of where we're going? Uh, If you don't know, what we've been doing as a church, uh, we've been reading through one book a month and reading a chapter a day. When we get through the end of the book, we turn around and we read through it again to get familiarity uh, and get an overview and really dive into a book in a month. And so James will be your next book. So uh, after next Sunday, unless you just want to get ahead, uh, you can start reading in the book of James. And um, <clears throat> that's where we'll be headed uh, starting next month. Joel Medley already told me, oh, great, my favorite book. I said, all right, well, the pressure's on now. I really appreciate that. Uh, we'll do the best we can with what we got. Uh, but no, I'm excited to get into the book of James myself uh, following our study here in Second Thessalonians. So Second Thessalonians uh, chapter Two. We're going to read the entire chapter, uh, and then we'll get into the message. <clears throat> it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, "...unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. That they might be saved. And for this reason God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you brethren beloved by the Lord. Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts, and establish you in every good word and work. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word. God as we as the boys saying, God as we saying, and I pray that we would love you. I pray that we would love truth. Now, Lord, as we come to a close later in the sermon this morning, God, we come to the bottom line that there are those that have rejected the love of truth, and there are those who have received the love of truth. And God, I pray that you would open every heart here and every mind here to see truth and to love truth. Lord, not just to understand it, not just to know it, not just to to try in our flesh to apply and to live it. God, but to love it. Lord, as we love you. God, I pray that you would uh, keep us from the distractions God that these or that this topic can lead into uh, Lord as as we are commanded, we pray God that you wouldn't allow us to be deceived, that you wouldn't allow us to be panicked, God, but we would stay be steady in mind, that we would stand or stay in truth, God that we would stand in faith. Grant us that. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, this morning we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to give you a kind of short review, Paul is writing here the second book of Thessalonians to set a few things straight. And we covered this last week when we looked at the first chapter. But we looked at last week the purpose of suffering. And if you remember, the title of the message was The Necessity of Suffering for the Saints. The church here in Thessalonia, they are being persecuted for their faith. They are being persecuted for their Christian faith. Uh, And so Paul is writing to them how their suffering produces in them a glory. It's not that their suffering one day will end and then disconnected there will be a glory. It is that the suffering that they face is producing glory. And we apply that to ourselves as well. We need suffering. Uh, God must send suffering. Uh, We sing, Lord, send grief, send pain if it draws us nearer to yourself. And so there is a necessity of suffering for the saints. For our growth and for our eventual glory. If you remember, we concluded last week by considering that God will be glorified not just by us, but in us. In that, God will show us to the world, show us to the rest of the saints. He will say, look at this child of mine who I created, who I healed, who I fixed, who I made perfect, who I glorified, and they will look at us as an incredible work of art and not glorify us, but glorify the artist, namely Jesus Christ. And our suffering is a very central part of of that glory and so that was what we looked at last week this week we come to the events of the day of the Lord and our role in that day and until that day and then next week in the last chapter he talks about our prayer and our purpose for living to give you kind of an overview remember this is a young church and first and second Thessalonians come very quickly uh, Paul was not there very long before he's ran out by the Jews. He returns with 1 Thessalonians. Uh, there's some confusion about the teaching. And so he comes back very quickly with 2 Thessalonians. So we're dealing with a young church. Uh, but we saw in 1 Thessalonians in that young church. Remember how they were growing. How they were expecting of the return of Christ. How the, uh, the uh, testimony that the world had about them was one. That they could be followed. They moved from babes examples in Christ coming to this chapter today we have three commands in this chapter if you'll notice looking through this chapter there are three commands that'll be our three points for this morning uh, in chapter two he says uh, "Do not soon be shaken in mind or troubled in, uh, verse, excuse me verse two in verse three let no one deceive you by any Means and down in verse 15, therefore, brethren, stand fast. So we have three commands, and all weaved in between there are the reasons and the facts, and the really, in so many ways, the knowledge to power for us to follow these commands. Right? We can't follow these commands in the flesh, we can't follow these commands in a vacuum. We follow these commands based on the authority and the information and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the faith in the Word of God. And that's what the rest of these verses are surrounding these uh, commands. So the very first command is steady your mind. Steady your mind. He says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled. When he says shaken in mind there or troubled, he's literally talking about being panicked. Do not be panicked. Do not be alarmed. Do not be in turmoil when you consider the return of Jesus Christ. There is, an, a, there is a panic that ensues in the heart of many people when they begin to consider the return of jesus christ believers and unbelievers alike and paul says that ought not to be the reaction of our hearts when we consider the returning of christ it ought not to be panic right when my you know wife has been away on a saturday maybe she's gone and Gone grocery shopping or, or whatever she might do, and I hear that she's coming up the driveway. Does it ensue panic in my heart? It shouldn't, right? You consider Christ your spouse, right? As we are the bride of Christ, why does the thought of his return bring some level of panic into our hearts? I believe it's because we are not sober regarding our Lord. We're going to flip through these quickly. Hebrews 9, 28, if you want to turn there with me. <clears throat> it says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for Him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Listen, when we consider the return of Jesus Christ, it ought not panic us. It ought to raise an expectation and an eagerness and a desire to see Him. Go to the next one, Luke 21, verse 27. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and with great Glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your head because your redemption draws nigh. I like that. That's good. When Jesus Christ returns, He returns in power and glory. And we as believers ought to eagerly be waiting for the day that we can lift our head to the sky. Because our redemption is coming near. Titus 2 13, the last one I'll give you, but uh, it's not, these are not the only three verses by any means. But we are uh, called to look, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They were shaken. If you go back to 2 Thessalonians, you'll see they were shaken. Because they're they're observance of dreams and prophecies and stories and theories. Why were they shaken? He said, don't soon be shaken either by spirit or by word or by letter. Listen, if if somebody tells you they have a prophecy that is not in line with the word of God, don't be shaken by that. If you have a dream that, that makes you think that, oh no, something is coming, don't be shaken by that. If somebody tells you something, or maybe you receive in a letter, and then we we believe, and we're not getting into all this, but someone had written to the church in Thessalonica under the guise of being Paul, that was not Paul. And Paul had to set that straight. He said, don't be shaken by those things. Steady your mind. Namely, they feared as though they had missed the day. They feared they'd missed the day. What if Jesus has come back and we missed it? Anybody ever had that fear before? Look, there's a couple of honest people, a couple of head nodders. Yeah, we've all been there. If you're, if you're raised in church at all, you've probably been there. Right? You're at the house and mom and dad are you know, in the other room. And you get up to go find them and they're not in the other room. and They're in the living room. They're in the kitchen. And they're not outside. And, and maybe the rapture happened. We've all been there good friend of mine said his testimony is i had that thought so regularly that i realized i wasn't a believer that's his testimony and he still he still jokes about it to this day we were look; it was just just the other day we're looking around and and jasper and shanna and 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 another one of the little ones had gotten away and they said well maybe the rapture happened shanna's the only one that knew what was going on around here i don't know i don't know where they are they're around the corner thankfully You can know, you ought to know that you are in Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, uh, I'll skip there for you quickly, you don't have to turn there, but it says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What things has he written? The entire book of 1 John, write that down. Mark that down. When you doubt your salvation, go to the entire book of 1 John. He concludes the book by telling you, I have written this book to you so that you can know that you have eternal life. So that you can know that you are in Christ. So that you can know that when Jesus Christ returns, you do not have to run in fear, but you can lift your head because your redemption draws nigh. So we steady our minds and we stay in truth. Getting back to Second Thessalonians, <clears throat> it's interesting that Paul is talking to these young believers about the man of lawlessness, the abomination of desolation, the antichrist. Right? These are all taglines that, if we put on the marquee on the sign outside or put on our you know YouTube uh, title, we'd get more hits than probably anything else. You know, end times, uh, antichrist, you know, last days, whatever. People love to get sucked into that stuff for all the wrong reasons. And so this morning, as I come to you bringing you the truth of thus saith the Lord regarding these times, we need to learn truth that's been given to us. We haven't been given all truth. We need to learn the truth that's been given to us. We need to stay in that truth, not be deceived, not be pulled away. But let's not miss the point of the truth, right? God's not given us the truth about these last days so that we can, you know, rub our crystal ball and know what's going to happen next. So why has he given it to us? Let's look here first at what we're giving. Paul spoke a lot to the Thessalonians about the return of Christ, both recorded and unrecorded. If you look at verse 5, he says, Remember, I told you these things when I was with you about this man of lawlessness. I told you, verse 6, about the one who is restraining. You know, he never comes out and names the one for us who is doing the restraining. They knew. He had told them specifically. We talked about, when we went through 1 Thessalonians, the end of every chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about the return of Jesus Christ, the end of every chapter. It is saturated in Paul's teaching to the church in Thessalonica. Here's the truth. In his return, he delivers us from wrath. And we've covered this, so I will not go back through these verses, but you find that in 1 Thessalonians 1.10. He delivers us from wrath. In his return, there is a time of rejoicing for the saints. We find that in uh, chapter 2, verse 19. This is all from 1 Thessalonians. In his return, he purifies us. We find that in chapter 3. I have chapter 2 up there, but it's chapter 3, verse 13. And he returns with a shout and a trumpet where there will be a resurrection and a rapture. We find that in chapter 4 and verse 1. These are the facts. These are the truths. In chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians and in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, he begins talking more specifically about the day, capital D, of the Lord. The day of the Lord. He speaks of the coming judgment, and of this destruction, and he begins to speak of times and seasons that are known. Alright, so stay with me, and I've got to move quickly. But he speaks in chapters 1 through 4 of a suddenness, of an out-of-nowhere, of a lightning flash, of the sound of a trumpet, and then in chapter 5, and in 2 Thessalonians, he begins to speak of times and seasons and things that are known and things you can look forward to. I believe he's speaking about two different days. He's speaking about the day of rapture when Jesus comes in the air and the first resurrection and now he is speaking of the return of Christ and the judgment day of the Lord. Revelation chapter 3 verse 10 there is a promise of absence from the trial that will test all those on Earth. Now listen, we're getting into some chronological eschatology, right? In times, timeline. You've seen charts, you've seen figures. There are discrepancies, and I'm not willing to break fellowship. Over a post-trib, mid-trib brother in Christ. Just want to go ahead and start with that. Alright? But as best as I can tell, it appears that Paul is speaking of two different days. We have a promise of Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. That there will be a trial that will take the whole earth of which we will not have to face. And if a reading of Revelation 19, which we won't take the time to do this morning. It seems it would appear That the marriage supper of the Lamb precedes Jesus' return and the battle of Armageddon and the capital D day of the Lord. All right? These revelations fit together in a timeline where Jesus comes to resurrect and rapture the church to the marriage supper before returning, I believe, seven years later, and we're not going to get into all of this, to judge the earth. And the reason I'm not getting into all of this is because that's not what Paul did. Paul isn't getting into all of this. Paul's not writing this as a, as a theological textbook. Are you with me? We're not here to come to the Word of God as a theological textbook and try to decipher the days and the times in an in a, uh, in intellectual sort of way that would puff up. It's not what Paul's doing. We're going to get to Paul's point and I hope that you'll take Paul's point, but I'm trying to provide a little bit of explanation here because I believe that they were already working with some explanation that we don't have recorded here by Paul. So these are the things that Paul lists. It's, it's really quite interesting how many details Paul lists, but with every detail, there arises like four questions, right? It's like plucking a gray hair. Right? You pluck one gray hair and four grow back. That's what I'm told anyway. I don't have gray hair. And, and never will. Yeah, look at my dad. I'll never have gray hair. Right? So with every point that Paul makes, there's four people going, Huh? Wait a minute. Does that mean this? Does that mean that? Does that mean what about this? What about that? Hey, don't get pulled away into the peripheral. Stay in the truth. I'm going to move through this very quickly. There is a noticeable verse 3 there is a noticeable recognizable falling away from faith because of persecution and deception. And if you time, you know, we've only have so much time because you people y'all want to get to lunch. Right? Well, I got some people shaking their head now. Good. Matthew 24, 12, you visit Matthew 24, and I, and I told my people when, we're, when we move through a chapter at a time, I can only kind of brush away and tell you where to go search, but I hope that that's what you're doing. So I'm brushing away, go search Matthew chapter 24, the entire chapter, and I believe that you will see strong correlations. Without getting into the, the Greek of it, You see there are words here that Jesus uses, that Paul uses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it's the only places that they're used in the Bible. Namely the gathering and the alarming. Only two places those words are used in the entire New Testament is Matthew 24 and 2 Thessalonians 2. If that doesn't help you tie it together. So go there and do some digging. But you see there that Jesus is the one who tells us that there will be a great falling away because of the persecution and because of the deception that will come on the earth. Then we see the presentation of this lawless, sinful man. The man of sin or the man of lawlessness or the abomination. He is the son of perdition. He's headed for destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself above all, pretending to be God in the temple of God. Appearing as lawless because he thinks himself and shows himself to be above the law. He shows himself to be God himself. Sitting in the temple of God. Again, there's so many different rabbit trails that I'm trying not to run this morning, but this temple of God, I don't know that this is the reconstructed in Jerusalem temple of God. I can't stand dogmatically on that. Alright. This temple of God may be out in Utah. Alright? It may be in, in the Vatican. It may be in Jerusalem. I don't know. It might be in the future in some great tower in Graham, North Carolina. I don't have a clue. I kind of doubt it. But he will sit in the temple of God. And the reason I say that is because some, some people think, oh, well, Jesus can't come back until this temple is reconstructed over in Jerusalem. Or Jesus can't come back until all the unreached people. And we take some of these things and we want to pull them to the nth degree and say, well, Jesus can't come back until... We need to be wary and careful of that because we are told that he will come as a thief in the night. Suddenly. Unexpectedly. Back to this man. He, and he is a man by the way. He is a man. Just a man. But he will work miracles by the power of Satan. He will work miracles by the power of Satan. Do not deny Miracles throughout human history by a power other than God. Because if you do, you're calling God a liar and you're outside of the word of God. Right? From the very beginning, we see those that stand in Pharaoh's court, in Babylon's court. Mystics, magicians, sorcerers. There's a witch in Andor in Saul's day. This is not new and it's not localized and it's not special and it isn't gone away. Be aware, be careful. But he will work miracles by the power of Satan, deceiving those who did not receive the love of truth. Looking and we're going to get back up to the restraining. But he's coming according to the working of Satan. And it's very clear, very plain. With all power and signs and lying wonders. And when it says lying wonders, it doesn't mean tricks. Like he doesn't really have power. It means they are wonders and signs built to deceive. And with all unrighteous deception. Among those who perish. Because they did not receive The love of truth. There's the bottom line. Who are those that will be deceived by these miracles? Who are those that will fall in line with this unrighteous, perverse deception? Those who have not received. And notice, Paul doesn't misuse words here. The love of truth. It's not about the knowledge of truth. It's not about the belief of truth. It's not about the acceptance of truth. It's about the love of the truth. There are those who do not love the truth. They do not want the truth. They take pleasure. Where is it? I've lost my... There it is. Verse 12. They have pleasure in unrighteousness. You either take pleasure in the truth and the knowledge of God or you take pleasure in unrighteousness. And if you take pleasure in the truth of God and love of God, you will not be deceived. But if you take pleasure in the unrighteousness, you will be deceived. Notice this mystery of lawlessness is already at work. We have the man of lawlessness, but we have the mystery of lawlessness. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. I believe that is talking about the power of Satan. Do you know that Satan himself doesn't know when Jesus Christ is going to return? And Paul notes that the mystery of lawlessness was at work even then. This is just peripheral for what it's worth. If Satan doesn't know when Christ will return, and Satan was at work then and needs to be always prepared, I believe he is always working at building up someone to be his Antichrist, capital A, Antichrist, so that when the day comes, he's ready. Because the mystery of lawlessness was already at work then and it continues to be at work now. Even Satan himself doesn't know the day or the hour but as something is restraining the devil from setting up this man of lawlessness. Again, Paul doesn't name him. He told them in verse 5. He says in verse 6, You know what is restraining. You know who, verse 7, restrains until he is taken out of the way. This, I believe, is pointing to The Holy Spirit, the working of God in the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I believe the Holy Spirit is the restrainer. And I believe that when Christ returns to resurrect his children and to rapture the saved in Christ, the Holy Spirit will be removed with them, thus allowing the time of the Antichrist. Paul, as I've said already, has already explained this to these young believers and feels compelled to reiterate it. Unless you think that we come in here every Sunday and preach about end times, we don't. But maybe we should more often because that's what Paul really is focused on. Part of his discipleship class For these young believers apparently involved the understanding that a man was going to come with powers of Satan and that he was going to deceive and he was going to trick a certain group of individuals. Notice also God's part in this. We've already looked at the restraining So there's things that ought to start following in line for you, lest you be panicked. God is the one restraining this time. He is the one that is in charge. Satan is not in charge. God is in charge. And the time will only come and will definitely come according to his purpose and on his timing when he removes the restrainer. So now we're getting into God's part in it. Also, God will keep them in the dark concerning truth. see, in verse 11, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. For so many that have rejected truth, and you see that, uh, that uh, they did not receive the love of truth. Lest when the great resurrection happens and the great rapture happens and Jesus Christ appears in the sky with a shout and a trumpet call, lest they all go, oh no, Jesus was right all along. All the Christians were right all along. Well, now we'll come get saved. Jesus says, no, it's too late. I'll send a lie. He has all the right and all the authority to do that. Now, I do believe that there are those that will be saved during the tribulation period. But again, we're running, rail, we're running rabbit trails and we need to stay on the railroad. So let me get back to my outline. God will keep them in the dark concerning this truth. And Jesus will come and destroy this individual with a word and cast him into the lake of fire. The lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth, and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Jesus Christ is the conqueror. This is a story of the conqueror, Jesus Christ. This is not the story of the Antichrist who's going to come and ruin everything and make this world so terrible and dark and and, and vicious. That's not the story. The story is Jesus Christ will consume this individual that all humanity has bowed to and fallen under the spell of and he will come and consume him with a word. And he will cast him into the lake of fire, Revelation nineteen twenty. The battle of Armageddon is no battle at all because man cannot stand against God. And so he comes with a word, setting things straight and setting things right, and his judgments are true and just, and no one can contend with them. Why is Jesus long-suffering? Why, what is he waiting for? He's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The root issue of this text stay in truth. The root issue of this text, and I say it again, coming to the bottom line of this second point, is not that you have it all figured out chronologically, it's not the root purpose. The root issue of this text is the separation of those who love truth from those who reject the love of truth. What am I to do about all this? Where is my role in all of this? Do I just sit back and worry and wonder and and concern? No. What is my spot? Your spot is to stay in truth. Love. Truth present your heart as a recipient submissive to God's truth that's your spot that's what you're to do that's how you stay in truth you don't let yourself be deceived you don't let yourself get panicked you stay in the word of God now I don't know about you But there are not only some spiritual things that I need to practice, but there are some practical disciplines that I need to practice if I'm going to complete this. When I talk about staying in truth, you need to discipline the input and the output of your minds. Are you with me? You need to discipline what you put in to your mind. You need to discipline what you preach to yourself. Does anybody else talk to themselves? You all do. If you don't, you're brain dead and drooling. All right. You talk to you more than anybody else talks to you. Do you know that? More than anybody in the whole world talks to you, you talk to you. And so the question is, what are you feeding on and learning so that you can tell yourself? Well, that just sounds crazy. Well, it just is what it is. Because if you feed yourself lies, you feed yourself falsehoods, and you don't feed yourself the Word of God, here's the problem. If you don't stay in the Word of God, you, will tendi, tend, you have a tendency to wonder. That's the flesh. It's the failing of the mind. So you must stay disciplined to the Word of God. If you feel panicked, get back to the Word of God. If you have questions about truth... Get back to the Word of God. Stay in truth. Love truth. Why is Paul, and I believe this is baseline, why is Paul so concerned that they understand what is going to happen? Because Paul is concerned for them knowing that members of his own flock may be in the portion of those who fall away. So what is my warning to you this morning? Not that you go sit down and break out your timeline and have it all nailed down, which wouldn't be a bad thing to do. My warning to you this morning, my desire for you this morning, everyone here and listening at home, is that no one under the sound of my voice right now would find themselves in the portion of those that are deceived and taken and fallen away from the truth. Because the falling away is going to be noticeable. Is going to be drastic. We're going to look around and wonder what happened to so and so. They always said, they always thought what in the world is going on? So called believers will be swept away because they don't love the truth. They will be condemned. Excuse me. No matter what they claim because they have pleasure in unrighteousness. I have pleasure in unrighteousness. Do you ever have pleasure in unrighteousness? I have pleasure in sin for a season. So what? Are there those walking around who have no pleasure in sin? Or are those walking around who have already sanctified and been made holy on this side of eternity? No, I don't believe so. But I know I have the Spirit of God who lives with me, who wills me to do according to His good pleasure, who convicts me of sin, who brings me to Him in confession and cleansing, who has, who has made me so acutely aware of my own sin that I cannot do anything but acknowledge that without Him, my righteousness is filthy rags. And I thank God for that. Because that's how I know. Because I know there's no good thing in me. There's no good thing in me to fall at the feet of Christ. There's no good thing in me uh, to want to do right and want to please Him. There's no good thing in me that would love Him apart from the Holy Spirit having created a new creation in me. And if that description of salvation is foreign to you, I beg you to fall before God in a desire to have Him fill your heart with the Holy Spirit and a love for Him and truth. Because there's a day coming when those who love truth will be separated out from those who did not receive the love of truth. The last five verses here were commanded to stand firm in the faith. Verse 15, therefore, brethren, stand fast. Because of these things, stand fast. Because of what things? Verse 13, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in truth, to which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that you're loved. Thank God that you've been chosen for salvation. Thank God that the Spirit And the application of truth is working in you to sanctify you and to make you into what God wants you to be, namely the image of His Son. Thank God that you've been called according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and He is working to make you into something in which He can receive glory. That's great. That's wonderful. That's something to be thankful for. That's something to live by. That's something that should be a comfort He says, now may the Lord Jesus Christ, our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation. That's comfort that overcomes anything. That's a comfort that stands in the face of any sickness, any disease, any loss, any concern, any worry. That is a comfort that stands in the face of the revelation of the Antichrist himself. If We want to be contextual here. That's the kind of comfort that I need. That His good hope and grace may comfort your hearts and establish you. Don't be panicked, you're on the Lord's side. Don't be deceived or distracted. Jesus will win. On behalf of those who love truth. Stand fast in the faith. The conclusion this morning. Number one. Allow God to comfort your heart as only He and His truth can. We're all in different places this morning. I'd love to think that we're all in our places with smiles on our faces. But we're not necessarily there. There is a comfort from the Word of God this morning. Proclaimed, declared in verse 17. Prayed for and promised by God Himself. A comfort from standing in the knowledge. If you're on the Lord's side. Allow God to do that for you. Fall on your face. Seek His Word. Search for His truth and His answers. And let Him fill your heart with comfort and joy in a way that only He can, that only comes from abiding and resting in the faith of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, He says it at the end of verse 17. We're going to get to some practicalities in chapter 3. Fill your life with good words. And good works in response to His grace and preparation for His coming. That's a whole sermon right there. There's a whole sermon right there when Paul says, May the grace of God provoke you, teach you, as grace is our teacher, in response to the grace that you have received, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Go now and do good works and speak good words. That's what we've been called to do. The world is not full of good words and good works. I believe. I've seen it. The world is full of unbelieving people. Unbelieving people who so long and so desire for some good words. It's everywhere out there. Positive messages and kindness and all these flesh-fueled we have the words of life. We have the good words. We have the good words to offer. There will be many that will reject those good words, but there will be many who will receive those good words and receive the gospel in their hearts, and what will grow up in them is salvation and a walk. With God Himself because we were willing, we went out of here under the, under the impression and the knowledge and the faith of Jesus Christ to come desiring to fill our days. Redeeming the time as you see the day approaching because the days are evil. To fill our days with good words and good works so that they may see our Father and glorify Him. In heaven. Let's all stand, if you would. We're going to have a time of, of invitation and reflection as Wendy plays a verse.